The title of this morning's message is A Living Sacrifice. A Living Sacrifice. Let's start out by reading the first two verses. Which is all we're going to be covering this morning. We could actually have a series on this. Just these two verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Heavenly Father, although we are only going over two verses, these two verses, Lord, contain within them something that is critical for the disciple of Jesus Christ to apply to their own lives. It is the acknowledgement of your mercies. It is the acknowledgement of your grace, your love, your patience, your long-suffering. Lord, in these verses, Lord, everything that we need to know about being an honorable vessel toward you everything lord is covered right here may we understand what it means to be a living sacrifice lord may you give us may we apply a discipline to our own flesh our own minds that we may express, Lord, a, a sincere love toward you. Lord, uh, expressing a belief, a trust, Lord, that far exceeds any circumstances that we find ourselves in. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, Lord, that your spirit would give us understanding. Teach us all these things that you would be honored and glorified that you would give us clarity of thought, that by understanding your word and trusting in your word, that that in and of itself would be something that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Sacrifice. To sacrifice is to give up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. It's an offering of value to demonstrate how much you honor and value another. The question is, is what you give to God a true demonstration of this type of sacrifice? Is what you give to God a value to you, 
Or do you give from what isn't really of great value to you? Because we don't define a sacrifice that is fitting for God. He defines what is. Turn with me to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21, verse 1. I love the sound of pages. (laughs) This is a a, a beautiful illustration, an object lesson. So listen closely. In Luke chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Jesus looked up. And saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You know, Mark gives a, a little bit more as far as detail is concerned, but what Luke doesn't tell us is that he called over his disciples. His disciples weren't like right next to him. He was observing this from a distance. But he called, he took the time. Jesus knew that this was important. This was an important lesson for them to learn. And he called them over. And that is what he pointed out to them. Jesus referred to this widow as an object lesson of acceptable sacrifice. He wanted them to understand this is acceptable. This is her reasonable service. This is her spiritual worship. Please hold this in the deepest part of your thoughts and in your heart. Hold this picture in your mind. This widow put in everything that she had. And as I pointed out before, she didn't go and have one of the disciples or himself did not go up to her and and tell her, that's okay. Go ahead and take out a one copper coin. You can keep the other one. No. She gave it. And it was accepted. It was received. This was a lesson that Jesus wanted his disciples to learn. It's a, it's a lesson that, that we need to learn ourselves. As we look at the first couple of verses in chapter 8 this morning, we will see how Paul is laying out the manner in which a Christian demonstrates his love for Jesus Christ by how that life is lived. It's not just what we profess in what we know in our minds, but it's what we do with our lives. James says, faith without works is dead. And it was not inconsistent with the rest of Scripture. Jesus said the very same thing. In fact, this story, this object lesson 
is proof of that. When he rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the leaders of the synagogue, he pointed out that they knew, yet they didn't do. We begin only in these two verses to understand the basics of being living sacrifices. The foundation upon which we can build on. Do we as Christians consider God's gracious mercy and respond by offering to Him our whole lives? Not part of our lives, but our whole lives. And if we do offer our whole lives... Is that offering a value to him or is that offering something that is marred, something that is blemished? So that's why I'm saying let us pay close attention this morning as we will learn how to be those living sacrifices that are truly an offering to the Lord in response to his gift of grace in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Be a living sacrifice is what we're going to just focus on this morning, is being a living sacrifice. Again, verse 1, it says, the Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, We have to look back. We have to look back at the previous 11 verses to understand what he is referring to. The mercies of God. In light of what we have learned through Paul's letter to the Romans up to this point, Paul urges the Christians in Rome to live their lives in such a manner that which he is describing right here. And he begins to spell out how to do so. This is an appeal. This is an appeal to our will. It has to do with choosing. It's an exercise of choice. This has to be an act of our individual personal will. Everything, everything we do, is an act of the will. You know, when we say, so-and-so made me do it, who do you expect that to come from? Kids, right? Kids. (laughs) There's kids of all sizes, right? It's called passing the buck. It's an old thing. It's an ancient thing. I think someone did it in uh, the Garden of Eden, right? Maybe two people. Eve did it, and so did Adam. The serpent made me do it. Oh, it's the woman you gave me. It's expected from little children. Um, In other words... It's expected from someone who perhaps is ignorant or just not knowing or is immature. 
Listen, everything we do is an act of the will, and we will be held accountable for everything that we do and everything that we say. You choose to think a certain way and act a certain way. No one can choose that for you. And so Paul is, is urging the Christian to be something toward God. It's, it's not just simply to do something, the act of doing something. It's to actually be a living sacrifice. Notice that Paul isn't urging them to all be martyrs. Uh, nor is Paul commanding them to do something robotically without applying personal choice and understanding. A person who has this martyrdom complex does things that appear to be self-sacrificing on the surface, but in the heart desires for all to see and notice how much they are sacrificing. I'm sacrificing so much on your behalf. Do you not know? It actually brings attention to oneself. We're being self-centered and We're being prideful. To be meek and humble is to just not acknowledge oneself. To just be that which God has called us to be. To not be noticed is a great thing. To just go through whatever it is that you're going through. And trust in God. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. It's an offering. It truly is. Even in the midst of it, it's an offering to the Lord. Because inside they are saying, look at how much I am sacrificing. Let me ask you something. Can our sacrifice ever come close to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross? No, not at all. You see, the object of sacrifice is never the sacrifice. Did you hear that? From Old Testament to New Testament. The, the actual offer of sacrifice is, is never the one thing, the object that is being worshipped. It is the one who is being offered the sacrifice that is of greatest value and is to be honored and considered above self. So Paul urges, Paul implores, he urgently calls upon his brothers and sisters in Christ to consider the mercies of God and respond by being living sacrifices unto the Lord. Why, why is it that we ought to be living sacrifices unto the Lord? Why, isn't it, why is it our reasonable service, our spiritual worship? Well, because we ought to, he points out at the very beginning, because we ought to consider the mercies of God. Just on that alone, that alone should really propel us, lead us, guide us, motivate us. Be our greatest desire to live these lives as living sacrifices and offering unto the Lord. As we consider his mercies. Consider the forgiveness of your sins. Consider being justified before God in Christ through faith. Consider your adoption into the family of God in Christ. Consider you are under grace and not under law in Christ. Consider nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Consider God's faithfulness towards you as he demonstrated through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. And I could go on and on and on and on. 
Consider the mercies of God. That's what he was saying. Consider the mercies of God. And in so doing, choose to be a living sacrifice because, simply because of this, he is worthy. He's worthy. The thought is that we bring ourselves to the altar. As we consider this first verse, it, it, it's you, you know, Abraham brought Isaac to the mount and he brought the sacrifice. And he said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And he did. On that same mountain, he, he provided himself an offering. That was Jesus Christ. You know, Isaac did ask his dad, where's the sacrifice? And that's the answer that he gave him. It's a bit different with us. Imagine you walking up that hill in knowing that you are the sacrifice and that there is no escaping that sacrifice. Because the thought is that we bring ourselves to the altar and offer ourselves wholly, completely to God as an offering of worship to Him, our reasonable service, our spiritual worship. In the offering that is referred to here by the Apostle Paul, is none other than a burnt offering. A burnt offering is not something that's cooked up and shared in communion and fellowship with the Lord. This offering is a burnt offering. It is put on the altar and it is completely consumed in worship and in praise as an offering completely to God. That is what he's referring to. Now, listen, as we talk about this, because we need to be willing, we need to exercise our free will, expressing our love for God, and willingly go to the altar and then stay on the altar. You know, for the sake of health, I can understand that saying, listen to your body, right? Listen to your body. For the sake of its care, but let me tell you this. Only to a certain extent. And I say that with great confidence because we see in the Bible over and over again that we are not to be driven by the circumstances in our lives. That doesn't determine whether we are or we are not. You see, we can't always excuse our actions and say we are quote-unquote, listening to our bodies and think that we are justified in how we behave and what we do if it is clearly in conflict with being a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Serving Him, giving God everything. You see, we neglect to truly live for Him, but rather live for ourselves in the moment, trying to preserve what we really cannot. We can only do so much. But in the midst of going through certain trials, are you glorifying God or are you trying to build everything to fit around you? We, need, we neglect to truly live for Him. 
What does God's word say? What does the Bible say about being a living sacrifice unto God? What it says is this. We must bring the body under subjection. To what? To our will. What is our will? Is, is, is it to do uh, God's work? Is it to serve and glorify Him? To worship Him? To be a sacrifice unto God? Oftentimes when we are not feeling it or when we're tired, really it's because if we're not following through, if we're not consistent, it's really because we're not willing, not because we cannot. We pay more attention to how we feel and allow that to dictate what we do rather than simply act on what is right, what is sound, what lines up with what we profess to believe and confess. For that, I go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For the Apostle Paul addresses this there. Because much of what we do today, we are a a soft people. We are a very comfortable people. We want to make sure that everything is fine with us. And if not, people will know. And then we'll blame our circumstances for our reactions and our responses to everything. And we'll justify it. No, the, the Apostle Paul, it's the very word of God. It's the breath of God. And he wants us to understand this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. It's all about discipline. We're we're striving for an imperishable wreath, a crown. Rewards in heaven, not here. Paul is making reference to the discipline of the flesh. Have we disciplined the flesh in its desires? To bring it under the control of of his will, your will, individually, personally. In order to accomplish in our own lives what the Lord is teaching others to be. A complete sacrifice unto the Lord. That is what we are being taught. How to be, how to be a complete sacrifice, wholly given unto the Lord, that his will be done in the manner in which he has prescribed, he has commanded. How do we do this? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. So let's turn there. This is how. Y'all have thoughts? We all have thoughts. We have some thoughts running through our minds right now. This is what we do with them. 
Again, this is how God prescribes for us to discipline ourselves. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm, I'm going to begin in verse 1, it says this, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Now, notice how he started. Please notice that. That, That's why we need to be a people who are confident in the word. This is a man who is confident in the word. He said he he entreated them uh, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you. Hey, don't force me to be bold with you when I am there personally in person. There is this confidence. right? You, You may fight against me, but you cannot fight against the word. You cannot. We cannot and win. We cannot do that. So that's why we need to control these thoughts. And this is how we do it. It says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. In other words, when we come to that place of maturity in Christ, we bring all of these thoughts to the Lord. And allow Him to destroy what is false, what is not of Him, by His word, by by the truth. Galatians chapter 5 Verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Walk in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. I had to go back to what I learned as a sailor in the U.S. Navy some years ago when I was going through dive school in Little Creek, Virginia. Something that has been serving me up to this point. Because in a way I learned how to give myself completely to the Lord as I think about what happened in dive school. You see, it was at that point that I had to give myself completely to becoming a U.S. Navy deep sea diver by subjecting myself against what I was feeling emotionally and physically to the instructions that I was being given. I remember there was a time when I had an infection in my sinuses and there was no way that that would stop me from doing a qualification dive. It was kind of dumb, but I dove anyway and 
came up and they all knew I had an infection in my sinuses because it was all in the helmet that I was donning. <laughs> but I remember at some point as I was going through the training, rigorous training, poolside, I remember thinking, as I listened to the instructors telling me what to do, I had to choose to believe that what they were telling me was true. I, I had to choose to devote myself and commit myself to what they were leading me through. To think that others had gone before me and made it through this rigorous training that I was presently going through. You know, there are other people that are going through the same things that you are going through. You know that? Peter wrote about it. He says, don't think that you're the only one, and I'm paraphrasing, but hey, be encouraged because, because others in the, in the world are going through the very same thing right now. I chose to reject my doubts, reject my anxiety, reject my desire to quit, and choose to do what I thought was easier, but in reality was not. You know, every time you, you want to quit and you think it's easier if I just quit, it's, it's, a, it's a deceiving whisper from the, the enemy. It's not easier. I had to discipline my own body and mind and bring them under subjection. I was willing to do that for a position, a specific line of work within the Navy. That's what I was willing to do. It was a great lesson that I learned, something that I think of often as I think about my walk with the Lord. You see, Paul referred to the discipline of athletes as an illustration of how we as Christians ought to discipline our own bodies and minds in Christ Jesus. That's our responsibility. That's what we're going to be held accountable for. Because what you really believe is what you will act on consistently. Not what you say you believe, but what you have chosen to believe. You will act on what you will. Now, what you offer is important. Because we need to ask ourselves, what is acceptable? Not to our neighbor. We don't, we don't look around. Not to the world. Not to anyone else. This question needs to be asked of God. What is acceptable to you? And then allow Him to answer it. When offering yourself, are you telling God, take what you're offered, take me as I am, or are you making sure your life is worth offering to God? You see, the offering of the Old Testament had to be whole. Listen, it's no different today. Can, in the Old Testament, as you've read through it, what is the offering? It could, have, um, it could be lame, right? No? It could be blemished? Spot? No? No. The offerings had to be of great value to the person who is offering, or they would be of no value to the worship of God. And it's no different with us today. In First Peter chapter one, 
verse 13. This is what the Apostle Peter writes. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We ourselves need to listen to these words. We need to understand that what we offer to God matters. It is reasonable to offer to God a holy offering. To offer to God, to God anything less is to be unreasonable. It is unfitting to offer to our holy and righteous God something that is marred, something that is unholy, and then expect Him to receive it as a proper offering. He's the one that defines that proper offering. What is reasonable? So how do we do this? How can we be those living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to God? We go to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. If you want to say that over and over again, just to be reminded of the things that are bombarding you today, please do it. Do not be conformed to this world. May that resonate in your heart. Do not be conformed to this world. This is the word of God. First of all, resist conforming to the principles of this world. It's philosophies, uh, it's ideas, it's perspectives that are contrary to the Word of God. In other words, you must actively reject going along with pop culture. What is popular? What everyone else is doing, whatever everyone else accepts as being okay. Rebel against that which is in rebellion against God. Period. Do not be conformed to this world. You know, as God's people, we are called to be a peculiar people. A people separate from the world and unto Him. That's what it means to be consecrated. To be separated from the world and unto Him. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, the world is actively working to have every, everyone conform to its ungodly patterns, to its way of thinking, and God is telling us to reject this. Reject it. This has been ongoing for a long time. Specifically in the U.S., listen, listen, if the church is to be separated unto God, separated from the world, we know the truth, we stand on the truth. There are things within our country today that are continuing to attempt to soften us to the point where we are ripe for deception. And quite frankly, we are ripe for deception. We are ripe. We just kind of go along with everyone else as they're going off the cliff. We can't do that. Do not be conformed to this world. Dare I say that most of our political readers are, our leaders are uh, corrupt. Dare I say that it, it truly is a swamp? It's hard to trust anyone, right? Dare I say that CRT, also known as critical race theory, is garbage? That there is a restructuring that is being attempted. Uh, the truth is something that is being rejected. There are all, all these deceptions. Why? Because it brings comfort in masses. The Lord is, is telling us, do not be conformed to the philosophies of this world. Don't do it. Trust in the Lord. There is an agenda behind the actions and the philosophies of the world. We ought to be separate, together. That's why we need to come together like never before, lock arms, and continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that others may be pulled from being lost and being eternally condemned to hell and have renewed minds in Christ Jesus just like you and have the hope of heaven. There's no other agenda in the church other than to lovingly give them the truth so that they could choose for themselves to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Hey, listen, Eve was fooled into thinking in a way that was opposed to God, wasn't she? She was fooled by Satan. Adam, he was duped, but he did it knowingly. And we are actively, see, these are two examples of what's happening even today. Be careful with the world around us. Don't play with it because you're playing with fire. We are actively being led to deception and destruction by the world against God in opposition to his word. The problem is that we sometimes think that we just need to know what to do and we'll do it without knowing what it is that we're doing and why. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me, tell me, tell me. Why are you doing what you're doing? You know, that's why people get burnt out 
they, they need a, a break from church, they need a, a break from fellowship, is because you really don't know why you're serving the Lord and why you're doing what you're doing. That's, that's why. Other times, the problem is that we are led by how we feel today. Um, evidence of that is how we handle our spouses at times, by how, uh, what we're feeling today, our children, our friends, our coworkers, and et cetera, et cetera. It's a reaction to how we're feeling today. What we need to consider above all is one thing. What is true? What is God's word? What does his word say? That's humbling. It is quite humbling. Because when we do that, we're not led by our feelings. We're not led by circumstances. We just don't do what we need to do and that's it, you know. We know why we're doing what we're doing. And it's humbling because it corrects us often. Often. It, that forces us, as we consider God's truth, His Word, it causes us to repent often, daily. What does God's Word say? Because that is what we are to be transformed by. A transformation is a complete change in who we are, not just what we do. It's, it's how we think. It's how we see things that really leads us and, and demonstrates by our example of who we are. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 27, it says this. <clears throat> Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You know, this speaks of, uh, yes, a relationship between a husband and a wife, but we know that, as it says in verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, so it, if, it's, if it's a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church, this is exactly what Christ desires for the church. That we would be washed by his word. That we would be renewed in our minds by the word. You know, in Psalm 119.11, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is why it is vital that, that we, as Christians, are a people of the book. Why it is critical that we read, study, and apply the Word of God in a consistent and daily basis. Because this is what happens as we do that. We test what is good, what is acceptable, and what is the perfect will of God. That's what we're testing out day in and day out. As we learn, read, apply the word of God with great understanding. Testing God's word by living it out in our own lives. In seeing, that is, coming to an understanding and knowing. Being able to identify, discerning what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable 
and perfect. To who? Again, I must point out that it is not what is good and perfect and acceptable to anyone else. But to God. We look toward him. You will yourself prove by your life that you are indeed a living sacrifice unto Jesus Christ, responding to his mercies, his grace, and his love by giving yourself wholly to him, completely. It's not partial, but completely. This is the basics of our faith. This is the foundation upon which we can stand and honor and glorify our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I implore you, as the Apostle Paul implored the church in that day, so the Lord implores you this very day. Offer your whole lives to God, considering his mercies. Be holy. Don't offer lazy, blemished offerings to God. Consider yourself. Be sincere about your confession and repentance to him. Genuinely seek his glory and his honor alone above yours. Consider others as more important than yourself. Because in so doing, you demonstrate that you are his by the love that we have for one another. Reject this world. Be transformed by by God's word and by his spirit. And lastly, test and discern what is the will of God. Be a living sacrifice. Father, we are truly considering your mercies as we think about the grace that you have demonstrated to us, the love that you have demonstrated to us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we confess to you that we have fallen short. Forgive us of our sins. Lord, help us. Lord, to exercise a faith in you that rejects that which is from the world and instead allows your word and your spirit to transform our very minds and our hearts. Lord, that we may walk in the truth with great confidence. That we may proclaim to others the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation by grace through faith in him. Lord, that we would persevere, that we would uh, be tenacious, Lord, in standing for that which is right. Because when one person stands for righteousness, Lord, oh, that, that is so evident. Let others see our good works and glorify our God who is in heaven. Lord, those good works are are simply walking in holiness and righteousness, being obedient to your word. Allowing ourselves to be renewed in our minds by your word. Being led by the spirit and not by the flesh. Lord, learning to be disciplined. Subjecting our will to yours. Subjecting the desires of the flesh to you. Why? Simply because we love you and we are responding with great gratitude for the love that you first showed to us. And so, Father, we thank you for this time. We rejoice with you 
Lord, over the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray that everyone here can do that too. If there's, there's not, Lord, I pray, Father, for anyone who has not surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, a, a simple confession, Lord, a genuine repentance of their sins, Lord, leads to salvation. For your word tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So, Father, I pray that you hear a cry. A pleading with you. For you to forgive. For you to receive. As there is a trust and a faith that is placed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So, Father, we are thankful, Lord. We look to you. You are our hope and our refuge. In Jesus' name we pray.